Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's show, we have... Shredding bacteria, gecko sticky feet, and hydrophobic plants. And how we turn all of these into cool applications for humankind. We also ask the question of, just what is life? On today's session, we have Lauren, Lachlan, and Justin. We're going to kick off with our Launchpad News section. Wait, so Justin, what is biomimicry? Well, I'm glad you asked, Lachlan. Biomimicry is basically taking elements from nature that we go, hey, that's really cool, let's do that. So if you think about a seal or a shark, have you seen those and how their skin's really great at cutting through the water and they swim really fast? We took that and said, you know what that would work really well on? Humans. And so that's why we had Ian Thorpe's fantastic, slim, streamlined suit, which was actually really coarse, like a shark skin. That's an example of biomimicry, taking something from nature that works really well and using it for human applications, mimicking biological systems. Biomimicry. And today, we're going to talk about biomimicry and some of the cool applications. Oh, another one of the famous examples of biomimicry, Justin, would be um, Velcro. So we had thistles that would stick to people's clothes and they'd go, why is this thing sticking to me? It's not sticky. It doesn't hurt me. What is happening? So they whipped out a microscope. And they examined, and there were actually really, really, really tiny hooks, like microscopic hooks on these thistles, that were hooking into microscopic loops on clothes. And so people saw this idea, and they applied it to making textiles and fabrics, and that's how Velcro was made. And and that's a really good example of biomimicry, of using things to stick to other objects. And that's what we're going to talk about now in our first application from Gecko's Feet. So Lachlan, I know you've always wanted to grow a moustache, but would it really help your life? Well, yes, because geckos have moustaches on their feet, and it makes them much, much more versatile and helps them evade predators and stuff. So you're telling me geckos climb stuff using moustaches? Yes. And by yes, I mean not really, but it's an excellent segue. So geckos have nanostructures on their feet, like really, really, really tiny hairs that have a huge surface area, and that lets them climb over smooth surfaces like glass or plastic. Using what, though? It's a chemical property that allows them to do this, and that's called Van der Waals forces. Basically, if something is very, very small but has a large surface area, it allows it to use static electricity to stick to things. So if I got a balloon and I rub it against my hair a lot, it will stick because yes. of static electricity. Absolutely. And geckos have nano hairs, so they, they can pack more hairs into a small area and therefore get more charge. That's exactly right. Um, and if you apply that same idea, um, they've actually made some tape. If you apply that idea and fabricate some nano tape with that same principle, um, you actually get tape that can stick really, really, really heavy things together um, without using much at all. So, so you can have a great bonding force without much surface area. So you could become like Gecko Man and use it to scale buildings with a flash of... So if I, if, I, if I got a bunch of this tape and then I wrapped cats' feet with it, I think they could walk cat on the roof. Yes. But then they wouldn't fall anyway because they couldn't because they would land on their feet and they wouldn't be able to because the feet would be stuck in the roof and it would be the dilemma in anti-gravity. Besides anti-gravity, that is actually really, really right. The problem has been... Um, besides the fact that it's really expensive to make, is once you stick something to it, it stays stuck. Forever? Basically forever. Um, geckos avoid this problem by having really flexible toes that allows them to peel off in a really special way that doesn't sort of go against the sticky force. But if you're just going to walk with your boots or with cat's feet, 
you're probably going to have a lot of trouble and get stuck there. So because the gecko's feet themselves are so flexible, they can kind of unstick themselves like those suction cups. Yes, they peel themselves off. But a boot or a cat's foot or a human foot or anything like that aren't actually shaped like that. So we wouldn't be able to like edge ourselves off as easily and we would be stuck forever. That's right. So Spider-Man, unfortunately, wouldn't be able to use the same sort of thing. Or Gecko-Man, for example, wouldn't be able to use the same sort of thing because he would be stuck there. He wouldn't be able to actually pull himself off. Not unless he was flexible like an actual gecko. Or had hands like a gecko. Yes. Okay, so say we could find a way to peel ourselves off from whatever surface we suck ourselves to. What could you use this for? Uh, a really important application would be in um, space travel. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically having astronauts be able to walk on the outside of their ship without harnesses and stuff. Because I guess the only way you could do it at the moment is have giant magnets in your boots like in Legend of Zelda. Yes, that's really, really heavy if you actually wanted to do that. And you don't like to have big electronic and magnetic fields. Yeah, I don't really want to be charging a massive magnetic field for myself. It would ruin all my credit cards. <laughs> also, all that expensive navigation equipment. And probably also all the computers. Yes, the computers are important. But yeah, um, so the, the astronauts would actually be able to walk on the outside of their ship, assuming the brutes could actually be made to flex. So I know that if you have a lot of other sticky things, like tape or even duct tape, this type of surface you're interacting with really affects the kind of stickiness you get out of it. If you've ever tried to stick a piece of tape to some fabric, as opposed to a piece of paper, you can appreciate the difference in stickiness. So does this same principle apply better to different surfaces? Or is it great on all surfaces? Look, um, it's great on smooth surfaces. Okay. Because it's just flat on flat. That's really perfect. Whereas if you had a rough surface, you wouldn't be able to get as much contact with the surface area. That's right. And so it's not hooks like some other animals like can Like a spider or something else. That's right. So I don't actually know. I don't think it would work as well because you wouldn't have to be able to have as much surface area to surface area contact. Okay. So that's a really cool way to help keep astronauts stuck to their side of their ships or help anyone want to be Gecko Man if they wanted to become a superhero. And that's using Van der Waals Force and lots of nano hairs to give yourself super gecko powers. It's a nice example of biomimicry in action. So we just finished about sticking the things, sticking the walls using gecko tape. Now how about we talk about not sticking things for example, hydrophobic leaf covers. So are you talking about like how lotus leaves have specific molecular structures that make it so water can't bind to the surface of them? Exactly. Okay, so what applications does that have? Um, for lotus leaves, it basically means that water doesn't stick to them so that it, on hot days where the sun's out, the sun ray, sun's rays aren't magnified and end up burning the leaves. Okay. But this can have lots of great applications in real life if we take this and apply it to real life. Fair enough. Okay. So as well as um, making sure the lotus leaves don't get burnt, I guess it would also mean if you don't have water, a dirt sticks to water pretty well. So if you don't have much water on you, you wouldn't have much dirt. And dirt would have a lot of the pathogens or like the bacteria that would make lotus leaves sick. Is that correct? That's true. So by applying this to real life and covering surfaces in it, we can actually help um, get rid of pathogens. So if you're in public places, you're less likely to pick up um, viruses and other things that'll make you sick. Okay, so you're saying like in professional kitchens or in like trains and stuff, if we could coat these surfaces with this hydrophobic stuff, um, we could wipe off any bacteria on it and it'd make it a lot easier to get people sick. Uh, make it a lot harder to get people sick. Exactly. It would also make cleaning up in the kitchen a lot easier than having to fight over it with people going, no, I don't want to clean up this sign. It's easy. You just wipe it away. Um, and If it was non-toxic, I guess you could even coat plates and stuff with it and it'd make cleaning or even clothes. If we could cover like 
our the things we eat and the things we wear with this antibacterial coating, that'd be really, really good for making sure everyone doesn't get sick. However, would the um, hydrophobic coating mean that you couldn't actually wash your clothes? Uh, you would be able to wipe it off. You mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to machine wash it, though. But dirt probably wouldn't actually stick to it. If you apply this to, like, say, plates, would this have, like, some weird taste so that you're affecting, like, the food you're eating? Is it toxic to eat? Well, I don't know. Is it toxic to eat lotus leaves? I'm not sure. That'd definitely be part of the research and development you'd have to look into for it. Yeah. Could you apply this to, um, stuff like glass as well? For example, if you're driving, if you put, like, this coating on it, would it mean that you wouldn't need to, um, that your windscreen wipers would have a lot easier job keeping the water off? Yes, it would. And I, I think... Especially for, like, big skyscrapers that um, spend a lot of money on keeping their windows clean. It would make it a lot easier if you covered it with this stuff. Um, or even, like, expensive, small um, microscopic equipment and stuff. As long as it didn't change the light-bending properties of it, the refractive properties, um, it could protect glass a lot and, and make sure things stay sterile. If it was on um, a high-rise building, does that mean Gecko Man with his um, stick in your bellies would be able to go up and, and make his job a lot easier? Yes, Gecko Man would still be out of stick to hydrophobic surfaces because the, the Van der Waals forces um, aren't repelled by hydrophobic forces, so that would work. Okay, so we're just talking about the antibacterial properties of being able to wipe things off really cleanly. Another way we can fight bacteria isn't to make sure they don't stick on, but to actually destroy them once they are on. So the wings of cicadas have these nanospike structures on them that can perforate bacteria when they vibrate their wings. So they literally like spike all the bacteria to death on their surfaces. So, so they kill bacteria just by what, flapping their wings? Yes, by vibrating them very fast. So there's no chemical procedure here. It's not like an antibacterial spray. It's literally a blender for bacteria. So how does it kill these bacteria? Okay, so I stretched the truth a bit. And in fact, the bacteria get stretched. <laughs> so like we were talking about with the gecko feet having a really large surface area, mm -hmm. um, because things work a little bit differently on the nanoscale, this large surface area of these nanostructures actually make the bacteria bond and stretch and stretch out to the different nanostructures. Um, and if you stretch them enough, like anything, they'll break, they'll lies, they'll burst, and all their organelles will come out. Does this work on all bacteria? It doesn't work on all bacteria, because um, the things that make bacteria different are their physical characteristics. Some have soft membranes, some have hard capsules or shells, some move and some stay stationary. So in this case, only squishy bacteria that can be really stretched out um, actually can be stretched out far enough to burst. Um, hard capsule bacteria, it wouldn't really work. So these stretchy bacteria can be spread out like, say, a glove until eventually there's a hole in the middle and it bursts. Yes, and all that liquidy, liquidy bacteria goodness gets out. Okay, so you said this could be used to help um, fight diseases and pathogens and stuff. How, how can we use that? Um, a similar way to how the previous thing was. So um, like we could cover um, public surfaces with um, this really, really slippery stuff to make sure bacteria can't stick. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a surface that doesn't harm humans but actually makes some bacteria explode, um, that's bacteria that isn't actually getting into people and making them sick, and isn't bacteria that's growing either. So rather than just um, stopping these bacteria attaching the surfaces, this actually makes sure the bacteria no longer exists to harm people. That's right. So it's a way to disinfect things permanently um, without using any chemicals, which can make people sick or have allergic reactions. So we've talked about lots of things in biomimicry where we take elements from nature and implement them in our own designs. But if we're building things, when do they stop being 
constructs, machines, things that we've grown and start being life in their own right? And that's a really interesting question that we want to tackle today in our ethical progress section. So Lachlan, what do you think? I think we can attack this from a lot of different directions. First of all, we have stuff like AI, artificial intelligence, where you have a brain that you can create or um, simulate. And if something can think, does that make it alive? Um, then you have the idea of things like viruses that replicate and move automatically on their own. Automatically on their own. But do they constitute life? And I guess that same thing we can be said for bacteria. Because I know viruses are very different sort of things to bacteria. We quantify bacteria as life to an extent, but we don't quantify viruses as life. And I'd love to know what that distinction is. Mm. Let's take the first part of that problem aside and leave it for now, because that's really technology and artificial intelligence. We'll come back to that later. But let's look at the biological side of things. We understand that human beings are great. We're, we're live forms. We're made up of cells. Um, now, these cells, we consider them being alive to an extent. And what's inside a cell? A cell is full of organelles. Um, it's got DNA, and it's got stuff to make the cell stay alive. And it's got stuff inside it that helps maintain the equilibrium of the body. It helps the body stay alive. So each little cell can't do everything the body needs to stay alive, but in a human, um, but they're all very specialised and they take out, they fulfil specialised tasks that help keep a bigger system alive. Okay, so a cell, an individual cell, will be constituted that as alive. Does it self-replicate? Yes. Okay, so let's let's take a, let's take a step back and say, what are the criteria that we think initially that something that's alive has to be? It has to eat or consume something? It has to be able to replicate? Yep. Is that all? Does it need to be able to think? No, I don't think bacteria thinks. I think bacteria is alive. On a really primitive sense, like... As in, like, in a nucleus, your genes? Yeah, so... Is that kind of so, controlling the cell? Yeah, controlling the cell. Like, it constitutes... It reacts to its environment. A rock is not alive. Sure, so... Because it doesn't... It's not responding to its environment. So even if it's not cognitive, a response to external stimuli... Yeah. Okay. So, that's that's a really interesting question. So we talked about cells, and all mammals, animals have cells... But then again, so do plants. Are plants alive? Plants are alive. I mean, they grow, they replicate. And their cells respond to external stimulus. So, for instance, if you had a a cell and exposed it to light, then the... um, The plants grow towards the light. Yes. They exhibit phototropism. Why doesn't a virus count as living then? Okay. So, we've looked at cells. Let's go... and We start with animals or plants and objects, then we go one step down, which is then like cells... So then let's try and go a step below that and go, okay, well, how small can we go and still define something as being alive? Which comes to your question then, what about bacteria? Now, bacteria um, are like, for want of a better word, they're like a certain type of cell. And, you know, you'll know that bacteria um, often interact and engage with cells. And so do viruses. The difference is, from what our perception is, the, ba- the processes that bacteria have, are basically they're a certain type of cell. Whereas viruses seem to behave almost like really specialised machines. Is it true that viruses can't actually replicate by themselves as well as they need to take over a cell to do so? That's right. It's basically like bacteria can live and grow. They don't need to eat other things to survive. You have unicellular um, organisms which can survive by themselves. That's right. And and they, they sort of have their own pattern of which they can behave and interact with their environments and they can exist on their own or with others and they can live and they can grow and they can die. That's what we really define as for bacteria. 
Well, viruses really, what they do is they infiltrate cells, they destroy cells, and they make more viruses. They're like perfect war machines, or like... But the key word there is machine. When we try to think about viruses, the way we explain them and understand them is they are like machines. They don't replicate on their own. They don't produce anything. They just take from existing cells and then use that and then they just keep spreading. Their only job is to spread, but not on. they can't do that on their own because they're not necessarily alive. Your life of your cells, for example, can be defined by simple machine rules, but it can exist without, it can exist without um, any sort of pattern to it. It just goes, I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do because it's a cell, it's a lie. Whereas machines, to an extent, perform a certain given function. They don't do anything but that function. And when we get down to it, I think that's where we define life and not life. So the specificity of the function. If it has no ability to move beyond its given function, then then it's not alive. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. We've talked about all applications of biomimicry and how we use it to make our lives easier. How we use ideas about sticking to ceilings from geckos, or flies' wings, or lotus leaves to fight bacteria and spread. We also talked about what is life. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.